Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development, where we share original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We hope you join us often for practitioner-oriented content around all things related to leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page, and please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Jose Caso about his personal journey as a Costa Rican entrepreneur and his efforts to grow and scale his young tech business. Jose Cayasso, or Kaya, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Uh, thanks a lot for having me, John. Happy, happy to join. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be with you. You're joining us from Costa Rica. I'm, I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about entrepreneurship generally, but more specifically about your own personal journey and experience as a Costa Rican entrepreneur and how that connects back to various people management and, and organizational leadership topics. As we get started, I wanted to share... Kaya's bio with everybody. Kaya is one of three co-founders and the CEO at Slidebean, overseeing the company roadmap strategy and growth marketing efforts. Slidebean is a venture-backed company founded in 2014 and headquartered in New York City. The company closed its first seed round in 2016 and has since become a multi-million dollar profitable tech company that continues to expand rapidly. He has been running tech startups since 2011, which have earned him recognition as a 40 under 40, plus being a guest speaker in over a dozen startup and tech conferences around the world, including TEDx. Uh, What a wonderful background. Again, a pleasure to have you. Anything else you would like to share just generally about your background uh, with the audience before we dive on into the conversation? No, um, that that sounds like maybe my LinkedIn. I don't know where that, but I guess that that covers. (laughs) That's, yeah, let's get to it, man. Yeah, cool. So, Yeah, start off by just giving us a little bit of a background. Um, You've been involved in tech for a long time. You've been involved in entrepreneurship and startups for a long time. That's always a challenging thing. I think that's challenging for anyone in any part of the world. I'm curious about what your experience has been specifically within the Costa Rican entrepreneurial kind of landscape and environment. Uh, And then we can talk more about Slidebean and, and what you've been doing recently. Yeah, I guess that, I guess from the people management side, I think that what we've done really well is try and combine these, like these two vastly different cultural uh, approaches to, to hiring and to and to scaling a team, right? Uh, you know, I learned everything I know about startups in the U.S. Uh, you know, from a combination of uh, you know, starting companies and starting companies are living in New York or working with other companies based in in New York, and 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 a little bit I spent a few months in in the Bay Area as well. Um, 
you know, and there's a culture to startups that's that's cool. You know, there, there's beer in the office. There's the, you know, WeWork, as as much as we like to hate on WeWork, uh, you know, WeWork sort of encompassed that a little bit with with the way they designed their office and the open, the open spaces. They got rid of the beer now, but, you know, that was that was part of it, too. Um, so, you know, there's, there's that sort of community, there's that sort of like hard work hustle approach to startups, uh, I mean, to how you run and you approach a team. Uh, and, and I firmly believe that, you know, the most successful companies out there, the most successful startups out there are successful because in part, because of that, in part, because of how the early team, you know, gets to work together and collaborate and, 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 you know, grind a lot, you know, and spend all nighters and, you know, coding and hackathons and all that like that. I think that that culture is key but it's, it doesn't happen um easily in other places around the world um i, I don't think it happens in europe uh you know right, you know work right, for, for good or worse by the way for good or worse like in europe it doesn't happen because uh you know work regulation people are very very strict and governments are really strict about work-life balance so that's less likely to happen um and costa rica kind of operates a little bit like that where uh you know there is no culture there's little culture of that uh, even though, you know, some companies do, you know, do ask their employees to grind. They don't do it because they don't do it for the startup reasons. I think they don't do it because they own equity in the company or they have stock options and they have done to benefit. They they do it because they have strict bosses that get them to. Right. <laughs> um, so, uh, but that's, I think the exception we, we, we operate, I think closer to the European model. Um, so I think that the exciting part of, of, how we run slightly is I think we've we've been we've tried our best to bring these two things together where you know we have that started by we have that sort of uh community it it's it, it it sounds a little bit like uh like marketing jargon but I think we do have that in in the team yeah um but at the same time we're careful and and aware of you know work-life balance and and how people can balance these two things yeah and and if I can just uh reiterate something I'm hearing you say, which I, I think is super important. And that is just the recognition that in the startup phase, um, you know, it, it is about the idea. It's about, you know, the new innovation or the new, uh, you know, product you're bringing to market. Uh, and you and there's a lot of effort and work that has to go into that, uh, no doubt. And you're going to grind and you're going to iterate and you're going to, there's going to be lots of change and rapid iteration and you need to be agile. Um, your ability to do all of those things is going to depend on the quality of the people on your team. And it's one thing when you're a small, smart, when you're a small startup team of, you know, say just a few co-founders versus now you're starting to grow, you're starting to scale, you're hiring more people on, you get outside of that initial founding team. Uh, are you bringing people on that mesh with the values, the priorities, the culture uh, that you have in mind for your organization uh, or they're starting to be, you know, conflicts and, and what we see in a lot of, uh, especially fast growth uh, startups uh, and, and uh, organizations is they just really, really struggle with that and making sure that there's alignment and congruence in uh, finding that balance, you know, between the grind and just that, that kind of really intense entrepreneurial spirit that has all the energy associated with it versus, you know, the the structure and the scaffolding, the safety nets, the the policies, the uh, you know the work life balance uh, elements, and all of those things that start to build as the organization starts to grow and become more formalized, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So I think uh, just focusing on the team components is always going to be important, and it sounds like that's been a, a clear part of your experience and your journey in the various. 
startups and entrepreneurial efforts that you've been involved with. Um, and tell me just a little bit then more about how that's then influenced your work uh, with SlideBeam. Uh, you've already mentioned a little bit, uh, but these past experiences leading into your current experiences, and you also talked about uh, a bit of the unique Costa Rican context. It's a little bit more European-like in its model. Maybe we can dig into that a little bit more too. Like work work benefits, like you know, standard standardized work benefits, I think have been kind of coded into law where you know paid vacation is mandatory, uh, double pay for extra hours is mandatory, um, you know, holiday work is not mandatory, um, and you know all of these, yeah, like we like I sort of grew up with this. Uh, maternity leave is is probably one of the strongest examples. Um, where I honestly think like we're in the middle, like maternity leave in in the U.S. is not coded into law. So it's not, you know, companies are hopefully, and, and when the, and the, in the recent years, it's become more of a thing where there's a, there's a predefined time for maternity leave, a paid leave, but it, it, it it's not the standard in, in, in other, in many industries in the U.S., right? Um, let's go to the other extreme, which is Europe. And I, I will call this an extreme where, you know, you have countries, I have friends, I have friends in Sweden where each parent gets one year of maternity, paternity leave uh, after, after each kid, which means that, um, you know, they, and they can, they don't necessarily need to take them together. So you have literally two years. So one year with the mother, if you, if you kind of, uh, if you play it well, you have one year with the mother, one year with the father, where they're not working, where they're at home with their kids. And this is fantastic for for an employee, but I see it as a manager. Uh, and if you have to pay a salary to one of your team members for one entire year, it is a lot of money, right? You know, this, this is probably coming from the government, from a government subsidy, and it's coming from taxes, etc. But it is a lot of, you know, for a company, it's a mess, right? Not even talking about the money, it's a mess to just have an employee be gone for a year, for an entire year. Um, and then, you know, the Costa Rican model is, I guess, in the middle, where we have a four-month mandatory maternity leave currently no paternity leave uh so okay so like that's i, I think kind of a, a good example of a balance right i i think that I, as a boss as a boss as a manager i think that a year is it, it worries me it concerns me i think it's 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 a tough position to fill for somebody to just leave for that long um it wouldn't be easy to to manage especially at the pace of a startup um but yes i do think that no leave at all is unfair so like kind of bringing these two together uh, to create like this policy that, I mean, I wish I wish we had the time to write this into a like official work policy for Slight Bean. But, you know, we, you know, a lot of the team operates out of Costa Rica. You know, these are the rules that we grew up with, that our parents grew up with. And the team that operates outside of Costa Rica, either, you know, either, you know, we, we're slight, slightly distributed and we have a, you know, one of, our, one of our hubs in New York. Uh, so everybody who works outside of these um outside of the Costa Rican legislation still gets most if not all of these benefits and that's kind of weird how we approach it actually highlights another important issue and that is when you have a multinational firm or a distributed team and you have people in different geographic locations in different uh, countries or with di different sets of, of employment laws in place that complicates things a bit doesn't it and it sounds like your approach has been to largely uh take what you know we might label as kind of stricter um 
guidelines from the Costa Rican side and just say, okay, everyone's going to get those same benefits, whether you're in Costa Rica or not. And that's certainly one approach. And then other times organizations who are distributed, they'll uh, try to, to, you know, find the balance between consistency throughout the organization versus, uh, you know, kind of the local market where the person happens to be in terms of pay benefits and those sorts of things. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, highlights some of the the messiness and the challenges that come uh, or can come at least with distributed teams. Sounds like you're navigating that just fine though. Uh, And so I think that's fantastic. All right. Well, that's wonderful. And now I want to shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit more specifically about slide bean. Tell us more about the inspiration behind slide bean and in creating this all encompassing startup. Yeah. So we started as as a presentation builder um, very quickly, we understood that, you know, being a presentation builder was too broad. We didn't raise enough money to be a wide use presentation builder that, you know, that could realistically compete with, with PowerPoint. This is back in 2013. So, you know, as silly, as silly as this truly sounds today, like, you know, a lot of the features that we were bragging about then were, for example, like online collaboration, because it was not a thing. Google Slides was not a thing. I mean, it, it existed, but it wasn't, it was a really weak platform. So that meant that, you know, online collaboration on PowerPoint wasn't great. Keynote didn't have it. Um, so this is a, a whole different time in the, almost 10 years ago in, in the presentation space. Um, and we came up with this new system to, on, on how we design and approach presentations, mostly to let people focus on the content without the distraction of the design and, and automating that part. Problem with, with this was it's too, it was too broad. We didn't have enough money to really compete uh, with, you know, in the entire presentation space. So we chose one area to focus, which was startups. Uh, and the presentations that startups need, or at least the presentations that we discovered they were struggling with the most were pitch decks. Um, so we grew pretty quickly to our first million in ARR uh, just on the backbone of investor deck preparation. Like, you know, this is a very particular type of presentation where you're willing to spend a few a few extra dollars to ensure that it looks good you need some guidance etc um problem was we discovered maybe a little late was that you know how many first how many pitch decks does a company need you know you know a few iterations of one but that's during a very specific period of time so that doesn't make for a great SaaS business because it doesn't you don't need it uh, moving forward right uh and we were seeing you know kind of like the classic customer story that we got was, I, you know, I love you guys. Thanks to your guidance, content, uh, pitch deck, I raised money for my company. I'm just going to go and grind and build and I don't need a pitch deck builder anymore. So I'm canceling. Um, so that you know, was great, but broke our hearts and, and especially broke our churn. Um, so, you know, we've ever, ever since we sort of came to that conclusion, we, you know, we tried a few approaches to rethinking how we charged for these pitch decks and so on, but nothing that would allow us to really scale to the size of a business that we want it to be. So, um, you know, in the recent couple of years, we've become this uh, all-encompassing tool. So what we've done is kind of diversify a little bit, like understand what other needs these founders have uh, from the pitch deck. So if you need a pitch deck, you probably need X and Y and Z. Uh, and, you know, we've done these things because we, we are started ourselves, we were a venture-backed company. Uh, you know, what if we help these companies prepare these other docs as well? Um, so that's, that's kind of like the stage where the company is today and the product. And that explains, you know, why you focused on the startup uh, space as you're trying to find your niche. Um, I, I'm wondering how you feel it continues to differ uh, in terms of its relationship to other startup toolkit platforms that might exist out there. Um, how does the all access update 
build upon Slidebean's existing suite of tools, et cetera? You know, at, at some point in this discussion, like we, when we understood that as a pitch tech builder, we were limited in how big of a company we could be. Um, you know, we, we threw in the idea of, well, what if we build something else, something completely different that's not startup focused? You know, we have a team, we have some money. Slidebean as a product, you know, generates pro like profit uh, from the subscribers that it continues to get. It's just not big enough for our own ambition, for for our own, for what we want to build as a company. So um, we figured, well, what if we just build another product? But um, the reason why we didn't go in that path on that path was because we have built something, I think, really strong with the Slidebean brand um, that people recognize. Uh, I think it is a it is a solid brand name in the startup space, and I'm I'm moved every time someone you recognizes it recognizes Slidebean or has heard about it or uses it. Like, and and we've we've achieved this over over many years, right? So just throwing that out and starting a whole new product. Uh, with a different name that targets a different audience, it is kind of, I mean, and all, not only starting from scratch, but go, like wasting that which we have built, right? So um, I do think that there are other monetizable and, and much more scalable um, models and or products that we could serve to these customers. And, and that's what we're pursuing. I know you have a growing YouTube following, uh, 350K plus subscribers. How have you been utilizing that platform to grow Slidebean's platform um, and continually engage your audience and your customer base? Yeah, I mean, YouTube was uh, a really, a really curious surprise for us because, you know, I, I consider myself a tech founder first uh and only very recently i've i've accepted i've accepted the fact that i'm also a youtuber <laughs> but um uh it, i mean it definitely was not my intention when when we started the company like i've always been in charge of the marketing stuff my two co-founders are product people so um i consider myself a little bit of a product person but you know three opinions in the same room are sometimes not very efficient also like who's gonna you know we're building this cool product who's gonna sell it so like I've from 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 the early in the company I've sort of like moved into the marketing side, um, and one of those marketing experiments ended up being well why don't we make YouTube videos and see what happens, um, and that ended up working much better than we had expected I think um, like I'm also passionate about video on YouTube I I do have a background in in animation I studied digital animation um, and you know which I think has helped even the pitch decks in most in terms of storytelling because animation is a very filmmaking based career. So we had a few storytelling uh, script, screenwriting uh, classes in college. Um, but, you know, this is all to say that, you know, YouTube was this, was this surprise. Like we, we suddenly discovered that we were really good storytellers on YouTube. And I think that people connected with that, um, that combined with the fact that, you know, YouTube is marketing for slight being today. Uh, it, so like which of these other CEOs of these SaaS companies has the time and the willingness and and they you know and get can extract value out of spending sometimes half of my time producing videos about about uh you know how to run a startup or or, or whatever. Uh like few few companies can get value out of this, but we are in this very unique position where we can. So that has allowed us to connect and you know, to position the Slavian brand to early stage entrepreneurs. Um and 
and that's I mean I think one of the most valuable assets that that we have is Lightbeam. And again, one of the reasons why it didn't really make that much sense to pivot into a product that was too different from from what we already have and the audience that we already have. Yeah, and so do you see a lot of carryover between that audience um, on your YouTube platform versus those who are using the Slidebean um, platform and offers? Yeah, so YouTube is probably our biggest acquisition channel. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd say that um, I'd say that something like forty percent of our revenue, maybe up to fifty, is touched by YouTube, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is crazy because at the same time YouTube generates revenue for us, so we've sort of built this magic. Uh, yeah, self-sustainable, not self-sustainable. We spend we spend more money than we get from YouTube ads, but still, like it's it's a it's a marketing channel that that's really successful and also generates some revenue, which is which is a weird combination. Yeah, and I'm curious. Uh, I'm I'm not really a, a social media marketer or anything like that, but I, I'm curious uh, if you've moved into you know some of the transitions that uh, YouTube's been making in response to TikTok. Uh, with with the shorts and maybe you're in the TikTok space, maybe you're not, or maybe you're thinking about it. Um, yeah, uh, I do believe that you know when you're producing content, you sort of have to uh, really be on top of what's happening, right? On top of the new trends. Um, we have this debate, which is which is too long for today's podcast, but we have we we have this debate now where. We realized that we are good at producing two types of content. One is like these start, we, what we call the one-on-one videos, which are these deep grind uh, breakdowns of how something works within a startup, uh, within a startup company and you know, guides and convertible notes and, and all this stuff. But we also, you know, we also have, we're also really good and we're really excited about producing content, you know, around, for example, company forensics, which is the stories of why companies and startups failed uh, or, you know, startup hubs around the world, which is, which is this new startup planet series we started. Um, and that's really exciting content, but that's, and that's our response to, to realizing that, you know, one-on-one content only has a, access to a limited audience. This other content could expose us to a much larger audience. And, you know, shorts definitely falls into that. Um, I do believe that, you know, people's attention spans are growing shorter. Uh, you know, TikTok and shorts are a truly remarkable new form of content that people are inevitably consuming. And, you know, YouTube is moving in that direction as well. 50% plus of YouTube users now consume shorts. So, you know, it is a trend. You can't escape that. Um, and, you know, I, I think TikTok get, gets a bad rep because, you know, it, it did start as dancing videos. Uh, <laughs> but in the last few months, maybe in the last year plus, uh, you know, it's become a really, really interesting platform. People are doing are doing really creative stuff really expensive high productions high production uh, videos I, w- I was at the summit uh this video conference like youtuber conference the other day um and zach king who was a really huge tiktoker spoke on how they approach uh, and they approach their videos which always have a stunt like special effects stuff like these are he's spending sometimes hundred a hundred thousand dollars in production for a 15 second tiktok um so like it, it is like that to me was an eye opener where like, like this is a format that matters that where where there's money where companies are spending money to promote to promote themselves because yeah. it's so organic like my last point to that i'm, I'm just I'm too much about it uh my, my last point about that is 
you know, how marketing has also evolved. Like we've become much more blind to marketing. Uh, our brains have learned to process and just to ignore ads. Like, you know, how, how often do you Google something and you realize that the first three results are ads, even though like Google's made them so, so similar to the organic result, but you just know their ads really quickly and you scroll. Um, so like we've, we've become much more efficient and efficient at, at ignoring ads, but formats like TikTok or like YouTube um, have allowed brands to create content that's that doesn't feel like an ad, and that's a that's a really delicate art these days. And I, you know, one one that I think uh, TikTok is a is TikTok slash Shorts uh, yeah. short form content is transforming. Yeah, it's interesting, and I remember it was it was probably six plus months ago. I'm just watching something on Hulu, and a Hulu ad pops up because I don't have the you know I I have the ad supported version of Hulu. And it was, it, it was something like I learned it on TikTok. So it was this whole ad about TikTok as a learning and professional development platform, which I just found fascinating <laughs> because that's not something I would have ever considered, you know, before, but sure enough, you know, there's lots of people in that space who are making names for themselves and creating, you know, massive followings, um, you know, by utilizing that uh, or the shorts on YouTube or on Instagram or whatever, uh, with the reels and such. So it's super interesting to see how all of this continues to adapt and change over time. Well, Kaya, it has just been a real fun conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time to meet with me and share your insights and your experiences with me and my audience. Before we wrap things up for today, I wanted to give you a chance to share with the audience how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, your team, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Sure. Um, yeah. So again, thanks to everybody for, for sticking around listening. Um, we we help founders scale their business, and you know, as, as I mentioned, it, it's around the pitch deck, it's around the storytelling, uh, a little bit around the financial modeling, um, and you know, we we do that for free through YouTube, and you know, for the companies that are really sold on on how we approach it and what we can do to help them, that's where you know, that's where we have the services and and the SaaS part. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess that I'll definitely say that YouTube is the place to start. It's free, and I think that you'll probably find some good extension if you found what i've just blabbered about for 30 minutes useful there's there's hours of that on youtube so uh, that's probably the place to start just look us up as slight beat wonderful thank you so much it's been a pleasure i encourage my audience to reach out get connected find out more about what kaya can do for you and as always i hope everyone can stay healthy and safe that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day and i hope you all have a great week do you enjoy the human capital innovations podcast Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page, and please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.